So welcome to Confessions of a Serial Seller. My guest this evening, he is a partner at Level 5 Selling, which is a consultative selling strategist. He's co-authored Managing Major Sales with the great Neil Rackham. He's co-authored Parley Business, Janet Spire. And, he, and his background into sales is working with major corporates in the technology space, working along the creator of spin selling, Neil Rackham. Dr. Richard Ruff, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you, Tim. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to spend some time with you and uh, your listeners. So thank you for the invitation. No, my, my absolute pleasure. So I always like to start these off um, Dick, to find out a bit more about you, how you got into the world of sales, how it began for you, and how you got to where you are now. So tell my audience a little bit about that, please. Okay, I'll, I'll give you the sort of thumbnail journey of, uh, of my experiences in uh, getting into sales. It actually started with uh, what you mentioned, Tony, with, uh, with Neil Rackham. Um, right. I, uh, I joined Neil... Uh, when he first came to the United States, as, as many of your listeners probably know, he did his original work up in Sheffield. Yes. And, uh, and was really, at the time, probably some of the best stuff uh, going on in, in, in sales. Mm. Uh, Neil did some really just absolutely substantive work. So I spent a long time with him, Tony. It's about 20 years. And we did, you know, everything. We wrote some books together. We worked with some great clients like Apple and Microsoft and McKinsey. Mm. So that experience was both fun and, uh, and Neil was kind of almost like a mentor, really. Yes. Uh, beautiful writer. So that was a great experience. And, and then the, the second sort of go around or the second chapter in my book, my wife is another one of those PhD types. Uh, so her background is in, uh, marketing and uh, and strategy yes and so uh, when neil sold the business we said great and janet and i started a company called sales momentum and and there we wanted to take a you know a different twist than what neil and i had done mm. so what we were doing there was working strictly with very large uh, uh, b2b companies and doing sales simulations yeah uh, uh, very complex custom design simulations. We worked with a lot of uh, medical companies and, and major companies like a UPS. That was great fun. We did that for several years. And the most recent thing was uh, uh, that what you mentioned was the level five selling with a, one of the colleagues I've known for a long, long time. We bumped into each other at Starbucks one morning yeah. and formed the company over coffee. Uh, so that was... I love that. That was quick. Uh, what I liked about that one, uh, Tony, was uh, John had just written a new book called Level 5 Selling, and he mm. wanted to commercialize it. And uh, I had a lot of uh, intellectual property, so mm. working together was a, was a nice match. But the magical part of that was that we both wanted to really try to move training and coaching mm. to uh, the virtual world. So mm. the question was, can you really work with clients and uh, get away from the classroom training mm. and do everything virtually? So mm. we spent the last four years um, trying to meet that challenge. And as they say, so far, so good. So that's the journey so far. Fantastic. 
And and tell me, I know you've worked with thousands and thousands of salespeople in your career. Yeah. What, in your opinion, what what does it really take in today's world? You know, to be a, a super a super sales rock star. Yeah, that, that's a great question for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think it takes the same thing today as it took yesterday. Yeah. Uh, it's just not. It's just not the same thing. And many people who I think um, that were perhaps you know doing superior work. 15 years ago, I, I think if they were doing the same thing they were doing back then, they probably would not fare so well. Mm. I think the big challenge today is, is partly driven by the markets. I mean, manufacturing technology has gotten, you know, terrific. Mm. Uh, so if, if you have a great product, the bad news is that the other guys are going to come out with one that's just about as good and probably cheaper in very short order. Yes. It used to be that if you had a competitive advantage that differentiated you from the bad guys, yeah, you could probably just sell that product for 10 years and, and ride that horse. Yes. I don't think that's true today. Um, you know, it, it's very short order. The other guy's going to come out with something just as good. So the challenge, Tony, mm. is how, how, do you, how do you differentiate yourself mm. when the other guy has something just as good as you do, might be cheaper, Mm. It means that you have to differentiate yourself by how you sell mm. versus just what you sell. Mm. That's different. And, and the, the, the answer to the, to the thing, what do I see as far as characteristics of the top performer? Mm. I think if I had to put a label on it, I would say that the person out there who's really knocking the ball out of the park is they become trusted advisors to the client. Yes. So it's, it's not me selling you something. It's me working with you to develop a shared vision of where you want to go and helping you get there. Mm. And, and there's a very high level of trust. And, and that's not so easy to, to develop. But, mm. but that, was not, that was not on the playing field 15 years ago. It was all about pitching a product, doing skillful presentations. Mm. Still necessary, but not sufficient. Yeah, I, and I, I absolutely agree. And you hear this term, trusted advisor, thrown around. Yeah. But it's, I think the key word there, though, is trusted. Is, you know, building trust in sales is, is, I think it's always been important, but more important now than ever before. Because it's, you know, sales, we, we know the journey has changed now, right? That when buyers first come into contact with us, they, they say they're maybe up to 60% through their journey. And therefore, they've been reading about you, your products, your offering, reading your reviews. And trust is probably built by the time they first communicate with you. Would you agree? No, no question about it. Again, mm. it, it's easy to say, you know, become a trusted advisor. The problem with that is that it's really hard to do. Yeah. And because there's several components to it. First of all, you do have to, to establish trust. And, and that means doing what you say you're going to do consistently, mm. you know, day after day. Mm. It also means that if you want to be an advisor, you have to be helping the, the client do something the other guy isn't. Mm. You have to, in, in the old days, even when we were doing spin, Tony, it was mm. all about, you know, can you uncover and develop needs? Yeah. 
Well, yes, but now customers expect you to do more than that. They expect you to provide insight, to help them think about where they want to go in a way that they're not capable of doing it themselves. Yes. So it's, it's the customer saying after the salesperson left to his buddy, you know, Jerry, I hadn't thought about our problem quite that way before that, that person really helped us to redefine where we need to go and some of the challenges we need to address. Mm. That's what you want the customer to be saying after the salesperson leaves versus that guy did a good job in, in, in asking us questions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's brilliant, brilliant advice. Well, I know obviously you've worked with some incredible entrepreneurs and sales gurus like, you know, Neil Rackham. Neil, Neil was the first book I ever read when I started selling software was Spin Selling, you know, it was, it was one, one that I've, I fondly remember. Um, what's some of the best advice that you've ever received, uh, you know, in your career to date? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the... We really had the, the the luxury of working with some really great clients, you know, like yeah. like the Apples and the Microsofts and the McKinseys, and 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 those people are extraordinary. Yes, when when you're able to interface with some of their best managers, you 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 are probably learning a heck of a lot more than they're learning from you. Yes. Uh, uh, so some specifics. I mean, one. One thing that's pretty consistent, I think, Tony, is that if you really want to develop a superior sales force, mm. if I had to turn to one thing, it would be the frontline managers. Mm. I think the frontline manager is the, is the pivotal job in developing a superior sales team. Mm. Uh, I have never seen a really great sales force maintained over time that didn't have really sharp frontline managers and a big piece of being sharp is they both develop the skill Mm. and they find the time to coach their team. Yes. And everybody talks about it. Far fewer actually do it. And that's a really big deal. I think that's a really good point you've made there that they do talk about it, but they don't take action. Why do you believe so many sales managers don't coach, train, and develop their, their team. It's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. It really is. It, I mean, obviously, we struggle with that every time we deal with a client. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's actually, it's, first of all, what, what isn't it? What it isn't, I don't think, mm. is I run into very few managers who say, oh, this coaching thing, that's a joke. Uh, that's not worth doing. So yeah. it doesn't happen because the manager doesn't think it's important. Frontline managers think it's important. Yeah. So that's not the problem. We don't have to persuade them that coaching is a good idea. I think the, the major problem probably centers around time. Mm. Managers get loaded down from leadership with so many administrative things that coaching gets put off until Friday Mm. and it never happens. Mm. Uh, And you can't just coach once in a while. Mm. You know, when we've seen, when we've seen at work, Tony, 
the manager is committing at least 25% of their time to coaching. Really? And, and when you say that kind of number, you know, you just freak out a whole bunch of people yeah. because they say, well, I can't do that. I've got, I've got all these reports to fill out and, and I have this uh, CRM system that I got to do. And yeah, well, that is a leadership issue. Yes. Leadership has to help the frontline managers do two things. One, find the time to coach and probably do a little bit better job in providing them the skills necessary to do that at a high level. Yes. And it is, by the way, that part of the, the time problem, Tony, uh, is one of the reasons I was excited about what we're doing at level five, because we're doing coaching with our clients now virtually. Yes. Because if you're doing all your coaching with the manager hopping in a car and going out in the field, and, the, and some of these people have, you know, 10 or 12 people that, that work for them. They're scattered all over the place. Mm. They just run out of time. So the idea of, of being able to develop a rigorous and effective way to coach virtually is a piece of the answer. And I, I think it's possible. When I started, I wasn't uh, four, about four years ago when uh, John and I started this, I wasn't sure we could do that, very yeah. honestly. But you can. You can. The technology, the software, there, there is enough ability out there now and best practices that I, I think I can honestly say to a client, if you get serious, yeah. you can really up your coaching game virtually. Not instead of field coaching. Yes. No, I totally agree. It's, it's about that blended approach, right? Yeah, it's a blended approach. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. What, what, I know you co-authored Managing Major Sales and, and, and Parlez-Vous Business. For my listeners who may not have read those books, tell, tell me to start with Managing Major Sales. What were some of the, the big takeaways that, that it was? Well, that, yeah, there, that, that was with Neil. We did that in the, in the early days. Uh, and I think the big takeaway from, from that book was that was all around the coaching. Yeah. You, you got to get serious in learning how to coach. And, and one of the things in there that, that we tried to tee up a little bit is some people say, well, you know, I coach, I coach my reps all the time. Every time I talk to them, I'm coaching. Yeah. Well, it's probably useful to sharpen that distinction a little bit. Yeah. Um, and we tried to do that in the book. Yeah. Yes, you're being helpful maybe when you're chatting with your rep, but talking with, with a salesperson and coaching them are two different things. So every time you interact with your salespeople, you're not coaching. Coaching yeah. is a systematic process with delineated objectives. So it's probably best not to say that. That it, yeah. you know, Fundamentally, every time I interact, I coach. Yeah. No, that's probably not true. So, and we talked about the difference and, and how you can sharpen that up. And the Parley Boo business I, I did with uh, Janet, because uh, uh, she had done a lot of work. Uh, she had worked with GE uh, pretty extensively and worked with uh, Xerox. Uh, mm. And we did, uh, that, was, that was a book mainly around strategy and, and emphasized the importance of developing business acumen. Mm. Uh, and I think it's one of the differences today, Tony, that, that again, if you want to really be in that top 5%, mm. you have to have uh, 
a much better knowledge of the market, a much better knowledge of the industry of your clients than you did yesterday. Yes. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't provide insight to the client if you don't understand his industry. Yes. It's, so I, want to ask you, I totally, totally agree. And so I want to pick up on the, both those points. So you, you said about there's a big difference from talking to your sales reps and coaching. What's, what's maybe one or two of your top tips, uh, Dick, when it well, comes to coaching? The, the tip is, you know, when you're talking with somebody, you know, you, you can say, well, you know, Jerry, it'd be great if, you know, you spent more time doing X. And, and, when, I, and when I do that, let me tell you how I did it. Yeah. And, and matter of fact, when, when, why don't you watch me do this? And, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Versus if, if I'm sitting down with a person, I need to develop a shared vision with that salesperson on what they need to work on with both of us from a coaching perspective. Yes. And for example, one of the things we find that's really different is most people, when they think of coaching, they think about it, it's all about correcting a deficiency. Yes. And to me, that's only half of the story. When I'm sitting down with a, with a rep or advising a manager, I suggest that they have a, a coaching conversation up front to delineate what they're going to work on together. And that needs to be a shared vision versus me telling you where you're not very good. Yes. And, and quite honestly, I think you ought to spend at least half of your time working on a person's strength. Mm. You know, coaching mm. should be a helping somebody to correct the deficiency, but it mm. should also be, how do you leverage a strength? Yeah. Because yeah. some people, when you watch them, they're really good at something, but they may be underutilizing that particular skill set. Mm. And part of coaching is saying, you know, Sally, you know, you're really, really good at getting outside of the box. Let's, let's be thinking about how you can use that skill, which, which is almost a talent in your case, yes. when you're actually interacting with clients. Let's, let's expand how you use that skill. So you're coaching somebody to leverage strengths and you're coaching somebody how to correct efficiencies. That's the difference. That's such a great tip because so many coaches that I work with would say, right, this is your weakness, let's fix it. But actually what you're saying is let's leverage and develop that strength even further so you can maximize. That's gold. I absolutely love that. Um, I want to, I want to ask you this. If, if you think back of all the sales you've ever made in your, your career, which one really stands out the most for you? And what were the biggest sort of lessons or takeaways that, that you got from that sale? I, th I think maybe it was one of the ones that, uh, when I was with Neil for a while, uh, I was sort of, uh, playing the role of a, of a national account executive. Yes. You know, I handled our largest accounts. And uh, one of the companies we went after was UPS. And yep. for your listeners, I mean, UPS is a very, very large company. But they have a very, very, and this was a number of years ago, they had a very distinct culture. They were a very operational company. Mm. And a lot of their senior leadership were had engineering backgrounds. Mm. So they were a button down, do it by the numbers 
uh, kind of thing. If we haven't done it before, yeah. why should we do it now? Um, let's not change things too much. Uh, yeah. If it's not broke, don't fix it. They had all of those attitudes. And unfortunately, it was a time when the market was going through a transformational period mm. where that where that attitude was becoming a little more expensive than <laughs> than desirable. Mm. And I think it was fun trying a to sell them on, hey, I know you I know your salespeople are really, really good about talking about UPS. I mean, their product knowledge is scary smart. Yeah. <laughs> they could talk about your products all the time at a level of detail that's close to being numbing. Yeah. The problem is they talk about their product to a point that it's numbing. Yeah. That's not how you sell. You yeah. gotta get on the other side of the table. You, you gotta get better at asking questions. You gotta get better at things like active listening, you mm. have to persuade the client mm. versus tell the client. For them, that was not only a skill difference, that was a cultural difference. Yes. So what made it interesting was it was one of the few times where I worked with a company and A, in order to get the business, I had to persuade them that a cultural shift was okay. Mm. And B, I, in order to do the training effectively, we had to design it in a way that did a cultural shift as well as a skill shift. Mm. That was a little challenging. Mm. And, and, and we, can, uh, we continued that client. They actually, I worked with them a long time. Yes. Uh, I got them towards the tail end uh, working with Neil and then Janet and I worked with them for um, four or five years. So it was a, it was a very long engagement. Yeah. Uh, but that, that was exciting because maybe in a small way, we helped them to make a cultural shift. Yes. Which I think was probably important. And you said there about, you know, persuasion, you know, not telling or selling what, in your opinion, what's the best, the best tips you've got on how to persuade successfully? Well, that, yes. The, and it's an important tip and it's, and you know, people have said it, but <laughs> many times, but the point is the lesson doesn't seem to get learned. It, the problem I think Tony is, mm. is the, the people when they're in, when they're actually in the call with the, with the customer, mm. they tend to jump in too soon and talk too much about the product. Yeah, and 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 that's why they get objections because you know they 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 jump in too soon and too soon means it, before they genuinely understand all the new nuances of how the client perceives the problem. Yes. And so the client goes, well, yeah, I get what you're talking about there, Jerry, but you know, that doesn't solve the supply problem. Well, I, I didn't know the, you had a supply problem too. Yeah. Well, right. So yeah. my major, if I had to tell, if I had to tell us a particularly young salesperson, a little tip, it would be, you ought to ask, listen, and then talk versus, yeah. 
versus talk first. The, the trap is people go in, they may ask a question or two, which they've memorized, and the client goes, yeah, I'm a little concerned about X. And they go, oh, well, let me yeah. tell you how I can solve that. It, uh, so the skills, the skills are, you know, it's back to the old days of what uh, actually Neil talked about, which was you've got to really get good at asking questions and you've got to get really good at uh, that skill called active listening, which is totally, yeah, you, you know, testing, understanding of what the customer is saying. And the customer, the customer has to know that you understand what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've, I've heard one of my previous guests, he, he used exactly what you said and he just, he coined this phrase. I loved it. He called it premature elaboration. And, uh, <laughs> yes. It really made me yes. sad, but, but you're, you're yeah. so right. And, and you don't think, you don't think you're doing it, but you do. I mean, I've been on hundreds of sales calls and, yeah. and it, even people who are, who've been in sales a long time, they just talk too much. You know, it's, it, if you actually just keep track of what's going on in a sales call, yeah, the, the successful calls, the buyer is talking more than the seller. Totally. totally. And, and they're asking more questions. So if you just, you know, had some magical way of keeping track of who's on the air, in yeah. most sales calls, it's the sales reps talking more than the buyer. Totally. Well, do it the other way around. The old 80-20, right? The Pareto principle. Yes. So, so get, get the buyer talking, listen to what they're saying, and then develop a solution based on a shared vision of what the problem is. Brilliant. Uh, what are some of the, what would you say your top three books, um, Dick, that you, you've ever read that's, that served you best? Well, I hate, hate to cheat a little bit, but I, I think Neil's spin book is certainly one of them. Yeah. I, uh, I think written a long time ago, but it was, and, and, and I didn't have any part of writing that book. So I think I can say that in a somewhat unbiased way. Yeah. That was a, that was a great piece of work. I think uh, today there, a lot of the books I think, there's honestly they're starting to look a lot alike yeah uh, yeah uh you know you know there's new stuff that came out stuff like challenger and so forth which yeah. was an interesting read um so that's smart i what i actually find today so yeah i mean a challenger book is that worth reading absolutely it was a smart piece of work yeah um, there's a new book Called, called Multiplier, which is also a smart piece of work, um, well worth reading. But but if I had to make a recommendation to to someone today, I think mm. rather than recommending a book, I would probably recommend that people go to blog sites. Yeah. Yeah. There there are many many smart people in the field of sales that are writing blogs every week, yeah. uh, and. And their stuff is is timely. It's it's micro reads. You can read it in in uh, five minutes versus yeah. reading a book. So I think if I had to get, give a, a helpful hint, I would say, yeah, sure, read Challenger, read Multiplier, take a peek at books 
uh, Neil's book, Spin Selling. But, uh, and, and, and uh, I, of course, would have to cheat and say, recommend taking a look at uh, my partner's book, Level 5 Selling, because that's a pretty good piece of work. Yeah. Uh, but that actually is a, uh, an excellent piece of work. He, he brought a new perspective to it. Uh, but in addition to those kind of suggestions, I think reading blog sites uh, is probably quicker because you can, you can mm. read them while you're No, great idea. Great idea. And, and on, that, on that with your partner, the Level 5 Selling Book, and obviously your great content, where's the best place for my listeners to reach out and access that, Dick? I'll probably go to uh, Amazon, and it's uh, Level 5 Selling, and the author is uh, John Hoskins. That's H-O-S-K-I-N-S. And it's a really quick read, which is the the thing I I like about it. I mean, you could read it in a morning. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you so, so much for giving up your valuable time. Really appreciate coming on, sharing some great, great content for my listeners. And, uh, and I, I hope you and Janet stay safe in, uh, in these times. Well, indeed, you stay safe on your side of the pond. Thanks. Thanks, Dick. Stay in touch, my friend. <laughs> Bye-bye.